Well, as I said the following last Sunday, audio express is from some Grace anger. Fellowship of Westerville. Well, there's be to learn more some about our church, today, then. please We're visit talk our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Things that God wants you to be. Things should cheer you up, right? And I want you to look at the, this new year, and we need to understand that God <clears throat> wants his people to be prosperous. And, you know, with all the hoopla that had gone on in the couple of first two weeks of the new year, we kind of put that in a pause. And I want to kind of continue because as the pastor of this church, I want everybody in here to have a prosperous new year, no matter what's going on. And how can we have prosperity? And Solomon is going to give us some advice. Now, Solomon, as we mentioned before, was the wisest and the richest person on the face of the planet. And I'll take you back and refresh your memory. In Second Chronicles, I'll read uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. And uh, Solomon is asking God and says this, Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out before, in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? Then God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for riches or wealth or honor or life or for your enemies, nor have you asked for a long life, but you asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourselves that you may judge my people over whom I made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. But then he says, I will give you riches, wealth, and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. And again, if we take some scholars, take what, you know, we, we have this net worth People, sometimes we say Jeff Bezos is worth $113 billion. Well, if you take Solomon's wealth and you convert it to today's money, it's going to be over to $2 trillion. $2 trillion, not billion, trillion. And I think he's uh, qualified to give us some advice on prosperity, right? So who's interested in being prosperous? Anybody? All right, well, God's interested in be, making you prosperous. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 35, 27, it says, Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And remember Psalm 1, we've covered Psalms in the chapter 1, verse 3. It says it's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers and so forth. And then it says, shall prosper in everything that he does. And 3 John, verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health and just so your soul prospers. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessings of the Lord makes one rich. He wants you to win that mega millions. Now, what's God's wisdom or wisdom's plans for prosperity? Well, let me give you your first disappointment. First disappointment doesn't mean necessarily you're going to be wealthy. And many of you said, when I said prosperity, you probably tuned in like, Huh? We're going to have some money? How are we going to be wealthy? Well, what I really did with all those verses, I just took them all out of context. I took them all out of context, and I know I was getting some eyes like, this is not his regular preaching. You see, we need to understand that prosperity gospel, and what I did, take those verses out of context. And prosperity gospel puts prosperity before the gospel. And seeks prosperity above all else. Now, gospel prosperity puts gospel first and gratefully accepts any spiritual and material blessings that overflow of a gospel-centered life. You know, I misquoted Psalm 1-3 because before you even get to that point, if you remember, it talks that a person doesn't Seek counsel of the ungodly. He does not stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't sit with the scornful and things like that. Then he'll she'll be <laughs> prosperous. So we're not primarily talking about money. We're talking about prosperity. And some people that have prosperity, if they're your definition of prosperity is money, wealth, and so forth, health, you have the wrong definition of prosperity. That's not the Bible kind. Now, most of us want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But here's God's plan for prosperity, and you can put this verse on your 
bridge or wherever you go, this is how you're going to have a prosperous new year. Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And folks, there can be no fellowship with God while we remain polluted by sin and guilty before our maker. He, we have, he, you know, God is holy. We need to understand that. And in Habakkuk 1.13, it says, your eyes are pure, behold evil. You cannot look on wickedness. And we talked about anger last Sunday. We talked about there's also righteous anger, right? And Psalm 7.11 says, God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. And folks, I said this before, the most miserable person on earth is not an unsaved person, but a person who is saved and is out of fellowship with God. And the reason we don't prosper in your personal life, business life, or church life is simple. There's unconfessed sin in our hearts, in our lives. It's plain simple. He who covers his sins shall not prosper. And I can turn it around and say, and those who uncover their sins shall prosper. You know, we have a saying, to err is human, forgive is divine. That's true. And, you know, we, to err is human, to cover up too, right? That's human nature. That's what we do. We try to cover up our sins when we sin. And therefore, this verse says, who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Now, I want you to look at the first thing is what I call the cost of this covered up sin. You know, uh, Spurgeon said, the mouse wins little by nibbling on the cheese if he gets caught in the trap. And folks, when Christians sin, we always will get caught in the trap. Sooner or later, you will be. Bible clearly teaches that. And God will never, ever, ever overlook sin. God is a holy God, and he instructs us to be holy. In 1 Peter 1.16, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And today, as I said before, we have little understanding of God's holiness, and because we have little understanding of God's holiness, we have little understanding of our own sinfulness. We all want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, but we pray for health, we pray for wealth, how many of you pray for holiness? Holiness. And the Bible teaches us this about sin. When we have sin in our lives, in Numbers 32, 23, and be sure your sin will find you out. It will be exposed. And folks, sin is such a terrible thing. Not only it's an act of treason against our holy God, but few moments or few minutes of foolishness ruin Years and years of character. Now, we can go throughout the Bible and see illustrations of that, but I want to use a, a story that's familiar to everyone, and it's in Psalm 51. We have the words of David, and David has committed this terrible sin of adultery. And David was a Christian. If, you know, in the Old Testament, they weren't called Christians, but if they were, they, David would be definitely a Christian. He was a man after God's own heart. David knew God's word. David knew the truth. And he even says that in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warmed, and keeping them there is a great reward. But he deliberately lied to himself. He said, I can get away with this sin. And people tried to lie to God. And for nearly a year, David was covering up his sin. 
But one thing about God is he does not allow his children to sin successfully. If you remember the Old Testament history, David committed this sin with Bathsheba. <clears throat> Technology, sorry. And he killed her husband. He made it look like an act of war. If you remember the story, really it was an act of homicide, murder, at worst. He put him out there in a battlefield, withdrew the troops, and to cover up his sin, murder was committed. And this king, who knew God's word, Sweet song of Israel's wrote lots of psalms. He tried to cover up that sin. And I want you to see what he's going through. And you will see, if there's a definition of an unprosperous man in the Bible, you will see it here in Psalm 51. In first two verses, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, he's blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David, all of a sudden, is feeling dirty. And that's one of the ways you know if you're truly born again, and if you're a Christian, is when you sin, you feel this dirtiness. If dirty is not physically, I mean, he was a king. He bathed in marble tubs. He had perfumed soaps. He had everything. He wore his purple royal robes. But yet, for some reason, he says, wash me. Cleanse me, because sin defiles. It dirties us. And what sin, what dirt is to the body, sin is to the inner person. And folks, you can sin and not feel dirty. I doubt that you've been saved. I doubt that you've been saved. And do you know that hog never, have you ever heard the hog saying he felt dirty? No. The hog just likes dirt. That's their nature. So he feels dirty. And folks, if you can sin again without making you feel unclean, it's because the Holy Spirit is not living in you. Because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is, you start feeling dirty. Then the sin dominates your mind. Not only makes the dirty the soul, but dominates your mind. It says in 51.3, in Psalm 51.3, For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Night and day this sin appeared before David's eyes. It's etched upon his soul. It's dominated. And he could never forget it. And that's another way you can know when you're saved or not. Is you can, if you sin and you forget about it. You act like it's not a big deal. But folks, if the Holy Spirit's living in you, he will not allow you to forget that sin. Holy Spirit will be grieved. And something's going on with David. Feels dirty. His sin is always before him, before his eyes. Everywhere he looked, he saw sin. I'm sure every time he passed, saw the grave of Uriah. That reminded him of his sin. When a message came in from the battlefield, maybe it was a message that will finally reveal his sin. And folks, I don't mean that it's always going to be in your eyes like 24-7. But you'll kick it out the window, it'll come back. You'll try to forget it. A day later, it will appear in your subconscious. It will show up with you having no peace with God. It will show up in your inability to pray. You'll have no peace in yourself, and you won't have peace with anybody else. Your sin will be there. There's no way you can rid of it until you uncover it, and it's forgiven. And folks, there's two types of wounds I often talk about to the human physique, sorrow and guilt. You'll have sorrow once you repent, but guilt is that dirty wound 
Guilt is the wound that David had. He guilty. He never. It never heals. It just festers and festers. It will never be healed because it's never cleansed. It's never been confessed. It's never been put away. And some of us are carrying a load of guilt. And we're wondering why we're not prospering. Is there sins in your life that dominate, dominate your mind, but somehow you're too proud to confess them? Somehow you don't want them to uncover what would people think? What would others say about me? So he has all this going on in his life. Not only that, but then it depresses his heart. So it will dominate your mind. It makes you feel dirty. And then the depression, depression hits in. Psalm 51.8 says, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. And then in verse 12, he says, Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. David lost his joy. He was in a state of depression. And sometimes we wonder why we don't have joy. And there's only reasons why we don't have joy, folks. And that is sin. Not two reasons, not three reasons, just one. It's sin. And what kind of sin? Yours. You see, nobody else's sin can take away your joy. Disobedient child can't take away your joy. Unfaithful spouse can't take away your joy. The ungodly government can't take away your joy. There's only one thing, and that is sin. And sometimes people say, well, nobody can be happy all the time. Well, I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness depends on what happens, right? Happenstance. But joy depends on the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy never changes, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, in Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul instructs Philippians to do this. And Mike Kelly, in the last Wednesday prayer meeting, read to us 1 Thessalonians 5.16, says rejoice always. So that means there's to be joy in our hearts at all times. Right now, all of you should be experiencing joy in your hearts. Not necessarily happiness, but there should be joy. And it's expressible, full of glory, as he, for 1 Peter 1.8 says. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. But sin, but sin in our lives, sends a spirit of depression into your heart. And somewhere in that cup, there springs a leak. If you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. And that leak is usually a broken fellowship with God. And what breaks our fellowship with God? There's only one thing. Sin. So he says, make me hear joy and gladness. Because it depressed his heart. And not only that, it also diseases the body. People don't think about that, but it dissipates the body. Look at that in first, uh, Psalm 51, 8 again. It says, make me hear the joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. So what God did here was he put David in a hammerlock and broke all his bones. No, I'm just, I'm just waking you up. Come on, people. He did not do that. Um, it's, little, it's poetry. Remember, David was a poet, and what he's using here is poetic language. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been or gone through excruciating experience and you just say, oh, I was crushed? Or I got hit by a bus. That's what he's saying here. And intense pressure upon you psychologically, it crushes us. And in another psalm, he talks about this in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through the, all my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. When I kept silent... That is, when I kept covering up my sin. You know, sometimes we, uh, people get an idea, well, those who believe you can lose your salvation if you sin, you get lost, and you need to get saved again, and so forth. But contrary, that's not what the Word teaches. God doesn't let us out of His hand, but what He does is He starts squeezing, starts pushing on your life. Bones are being broken. God puts pressure on a child of God. You see, he doesn't just disregard us and throw us away. 
God deals with his child. He puts pressure on. And we can live under pressure for so long, but not for so long that you'll start having effects on your physical body as well. Physical illness, conditions, and I'm trying to say, folks, unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin, that is sin that's covered up, what's the cost of it? To a Christian, to a true Christian, depression, and then also talks about dissipating the body. If you look at Job 20.11, his, his bones were full of his youthful vigor, but it will lie down with him in the dust. And I like the way that New Living Translation puts it, they are, though they are young, their bones will lie in the dust. And Paul wrote to Corinthians, remember when, when they were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy, sinful manner, he says, for this reasons, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Why? Sin. Sin will make an old man out of you before your time. Sin takes a toll on our lives. So how can a person be healthy? And the book of Proverbs tells us that in Proverbs 17:22, it says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries up bones. So if you take away joy, if you don't have any joy in your heart, you take away your medicine. And when joy goes, the medicine goes. And it's the joy of the Lord that enables you to go to bed at night and go to sleep peacefully. There's something about joy of the Lord that makes us live more fully in our lives. And that the Bible clearly teaches, actually in Nehemiah 8.10, it says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, the drink the sweet, send portions for those whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to your Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So when your joy is gone, your strength is gone. And when your joy is gone, your medicine is gone. And when your medicine is gone, you have broken bones, you have dried up bones. So that's the cost of covered sin. You're going to get crushed. Your body dissipates, it's diseased. So those are the physical things that you go through. But then there are also spiritual things. Look at 51.10. Psalm 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, a renew a steadfast spirit with me. In the King James Version, it says, Renew a right spirit with me. Create a right spirit in me. He's praying. Why? Because now he had the wrong spirit. The spirit was defiled. It was the wrong spirit. And what's the wrong spirit? Wrong spirit is a critical spirit. Anybody got around David because he has this covered up sin, it was like touching a porcupine. He was mean-spirited. And that's what happens to people when they get into sin. They're always grouchy. Always. Two ladies were having coffee, and one of them asked them, said, did you ever wake up grouchy? She said, no, I usually let him sleep in. But, I'll tell you a secret, and I said this before, so I guess it's not a secret. I'd much rather be around a good old-fashioned pagan than a backsliding Christian. I'm telling you that for the truth. Backsliding, unrepentant Christians are the most critical, difficult, slanderous, can't-get-along people to individuals. Because why? They're miserable on the inside. They're miserable on the inside. And when a person has a covered-up sin... In their life, you know what they always try to do? Uncover sins of other people. They're always trying to, you know, it's a psychological fact. And I've been a Christian long enough to see this. We go through various stages of backsliding. And sometimes all you can do is just stand there and just stand by and pray for that person, pray for that individual. But generally, Christian will get into some sin. If it's a moral sin or it will be some sort of attitudinal sin, He'll feel somebody has harmed them, done them wrong, neglected them, misused them, abused them, or whatever. And we talked about bitterness. They get into this bitterness, and they try to cover it up. You know, they'll come to church. They'll be old peaches and cream. They smile, and they shake your hand, and so forth, and they sing, they praise. But there's covered up sin 
in the heart and in their life. And when that happens, the person begins to backslide. They start looking around. They'll start looking around the leadership, deacons, elders, whatever, looking at other church members to find fault in somebody else because he feels if he can find fault in somebody else, somehow that will justify what he or she is doing. They'll say, you know, they'll become critical in the spirit. They'll critique and so forth. And sometimes they just disappear. Then they'll just say the whole church is full of hypocrites. And I say, well, you can always come back here because we got room for one more, right? And the problem the whole time, they had this bad spirit, the wrong spirit. They had a spirit that's been defiled by a covered up sin. Let me give you an illustration again with David in this very same story. David had a bad spirit, and we all know how it was revealed. We had a pastor named Nathan, Nathan the prophet, comes to David and says, David, there's a problem in the kingdom, and I need you to judge it. He said, what is it? So where there's a kingdom, a very poor man. The man has nothing that he can claim for his own except this little lamb that he had. It was like his children. It ate with him, grew up with his children, ate from the same plate, drank from the same cup. He loved it as his own child. And this little poor man lived next to a rich man. And he had more than his heart could desire. He had flocks, herds, many sheep, a lot of cattle. And it happened that when the rich man had a stranger come over, what the rich man did was take this poor man's sheep, lamb, killed it, barbecued it, and fed it to these strangers. And he says, what should be done? What should we do? We all know David got Livid, right? He got rage. He clenched his fist, stood up, and look at 2 Samuel 12, 5 through 6 says, David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And when David did, really, he just sentenced himself in his own court. Because in the next verse, then Nathan said to him in 2 Samuel 12, 7, you are the man. You are the man. Now, what I want you to see in that story is that David had a bad spirit. And I want you to see how David was quick to judge this other man when David had sin in his own life. For example, it's wrong to steal an animal, right? But isn't it worse to steal a, a woman? It's bad to kill an animal, but isn't it worse to kill a man? Here was a man who had a log in his eye, and he was judging, trying to get a speck out of somebody else's eye. Why? Because he had this covered up sin. He had covered up his own sin. So what he's doing is uncovering other people's sin. He had this bad critical spirit, and God deliver us from those kinds of people. Not only that, but folks, it also ruins our testimony. Ruin is us testimony. So far, from what I'm reading, where I'm standing, this man is a bankrupt man. But it goes further. It ruins our testimony. In Psalm 51, 12, 15, it says, Restore me the joy of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Do you see what happened here? This covered up sin shut his mouth. This witnessing, there's none of it. It kept him from singing. He was a sweet singer of Israel who has no song. Praise dried up. Testimony faded. And he says, when I get my heart right, then I will teach transgressors your way. 
And then people will be converted to you. And some of us are not soul winners, and we don't share Christ, not necessarily because of fear, as we discussed, but we have this covered-up sin in our lives, and sin intimidates us. Sin intimidates you. When you start witnessing, the devil says, you hypocrite. So you're like, oh, I'd rather not say anything. It seals our lips, destroys our testimony. And some people don't really enjoy worship service when they come here with that kind of a heart. Sometimes they can't sing the songs, right? Because the devil whispers, who are you to sing that song? What a mighty God we serve. Or who are you to sing that song when Jesus came into my heart, you hypocrite? Because we have this covered up sin. And we can't have victory in Jesus because of that covered up sin. It takes that joy out. It takes the song of praise, dries the bones, and destroys our testimony. And the worst of all, folks, it dishonors our Lord. Dishonors our Lord. Look in Psalm 51, 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. You see, David did not primarily sin against his own body, against Bathsheba or Europe, but against God. Let me tell you something. One of the ways you can know that you're truly saved if sin in your life, it, it breaks your heart that you've broken the heart of God. Broken the heart of God. And let me show you what I mean by that. We all know this, another famous story of Joseph. Joseph was a young, beautiful young man. He had it going on. In uh, Genesis 39, 6, if you look at it, this is Potiphar speaking, and he says, Thus he left all he had in Joseph's hand. He did not know what he had except for bread which he ate. And it says, Joseph was handsome in form of appearance. So I want to state the stage. What was happening is David is second in command in this household. And Potiphar doesn't even know what he has except for the food that he eats because he trusts Joseph. Everything's going smoothly. He doesn't even inquire about anything because Joseph got it all. And look what he says in Genesis 39, 8, when Potiphar's wife lusted after him, and she, he said, but he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. So I want you to understand here the relationship he has with this man, Potiphar. He's given him everything, right? Second in command and all that kind of stuff, and he's telling his master's wife this. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. And with Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. But then he continues, when she continued to tempt him, says in Genesis 39, 9, says, there's no one greater in the house than I. He continues to talk about the relationship, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. And he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God. Not Potiphar, not wife, not against him. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, an unsaved man doesn't worry about breaking God's heart. Unsaved man thinks about perhaps what he's going to get caught, what's going to happen, the consequences of sin. He worries about the consequences of sin. But a true Christian realizes not only he has broken God's law, but he's broken God's heart. It breaks his heart that he has broken God's heart. And David says, my God, I've sinned against you. I did this evil in your sight. And folks, the thing that makes me want to deal with sin in my own life is not primarily that I'm afraid of God or he might do to me. I love him. But I do not want to sin against the one who loves me. It's that feeling. Oh, my God, I have sinned against you. I have dishonored my Lord. And I know if you're not saved, 
this is going to have no appeal to you. But if you are saved and you realize what God has done for you in your life, it's going to break your heart that you're breaking God's heart. You see, a slave just fears the master's whip, but a son fears his father's displeasure. But now I want to notice not only the cost of this sin, and we can actually see King David is feeling bankrupt. What do we do? There must be confession. It says in Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Do you want to know what a good confession of sin is? What is the confession of a committed sin? It's threefold. In my opinion, it needs to be exposed in your life. Who is going to expose those sins to you? I guess you can say, well, I'm going to expose my sins, but I'll tell you, you're not qualified. You can't do it. You're not qualified to do it. You don't have the tools to do it. And the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I'll tell you what, the wicked heart can never diagnose a wicked heart or wicked things in your life. He's never going to condemn them because the heart is wicked. There's one job of whose it is a job to expose those things in your life. And Jesus said in 16 of John 8, uh, John 16, 8, it said, When he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. So rather than trying to analyze our things, and sometimes that's why we get into trouble, well, this is not a sin or that's a sin, and we try to convince ourselves versus listening to what the Holy Spirit is telling us internally. And we need to pray this prayer as David prayed in Psalm 139, verses 23, 24, says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We need to let the Holy Spirit of God convict you of that sin. And he's the one that's going to expose that sin. And when that happens, you need to confess it. It's very important. And the Spirit of God will expose sin in your life, but I also want you to pay attention here because the devil will come right there and try to exploit your sin too. And the difference between exposing sin and exploiting sin, the Holy Spirit exposes, the only sin the Holy Spirit exposes is the sin that you haven't uncovered yet. Holy Spirit will expose the covered up sin in your life. But... The devil does the opposite. He'll try to make you feel guilty and so forth about the sins that you already uncovered. And we covered it, folks. When we cover up sin, and if the Holy Spirit is living in us, in us, he will uncover it. When we try to cover, he will uncover. When we uncover our sins, the blood of the Lamb covers them. So we need to confess them. And in Bible, in Hebrews chapter 8, verses, uh, verse 12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. So when you confess that, sin in your life, that's it. It shouldn't bother you anymore after you uncover it. But the devil will explode your sin. He will uncover it and try to make you feel, uh, try to make you uncover it one more time and things like that. He'll he will dry, bring it up. The devil always gets historical. So we need to be careful. And if we put that under sin, under the blood of Jesus Christ, it's already forgiven. No need to bring it up again. But when you cover it, folks, I want you to know, the Holy Spirit uncovers it. And the problem is, the reason we're not so prosperous is because we're sometimes kind of like David. We try to keep covering it up. For almost a year, he covered it up. He was going through internal things, chaos in the household, family, and so forth. Why? Because he has this covered up sin that he has not dealt with. And the Holy Spirit exposes your sin. And folks, I'll tell you something else. The Holy Spirit exposes your sin specifically. Specifically. He will teach you exactly, precisely, he will show you what you did. 
The devil, on the other hand, he will just try to make you feel unaccepted. He'll just say, in general, you're not worthy, you're a sinner, and so forth. But we are accepted once we confess our sins. Ephesians 1, 6 says, The praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So when we confess our sins, Holy Spirit does not make us feel unaccepted. He doesn't make us feel unworthy. So when that's happening, folks, that's the devil. That's condemnation. So the Holy Spirit is exposing sin in your life. And as I said, it will expose a specific sin that you haven't dealt with yet. It will tell you. You lied. You were proud here. You exaggerated here. This is what you need to repent of. And what the Holy Spirit will name that particular thing, he puts his finger, and that's when that pressure stops. That's when it starts squeezing. Not only must be confessed and exposed, it must be expressed. You need to tell God exactly what you're confessing. You know, sometimes uh, we come to God and we just say in general, Father, forgive me my sins, right? It's like we like to sin at retail and confess in wholesale. Just forgive me for my sins, amen. Father, I've sinned, forgive me. Folks, I'm going to tell you, the truth is not going to get it done. What you're going to have to do is see is the Holy Spirit will guide you, convict you, and you have to name that sin specifically and express it. Father, I've done this and this. That's what David did. I did this great sin in your eyes. So when we tell God about it, we need to name that sin. What are we, where are we asking for forgiveness? For what sins? Name that pride. Name that dishonesty. Name that bitterness. Name that unholy anger that you have within you. You know, we sing a song, and I'm sure everybody knows it. Sounds, it says, count your blessings. Everybody familiar? It says, count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Well, we can rephrase that and say, count your many sins. Name them one by one. And it will amaze you what you have done. Name them. I have done this. And not only that, it must be expelled from your life. Look at Proverbs 28, 13 again. It says, he who covers his sin shall not prosper, but he who ever confesses, and what's the next word? Forsakes them will have mercy. You see, it's not enough to go and just confess it without forsaking it. And that's where many of us fail too. Sin is exposed, sin is expressed, but then sin is not expelled. We start tripping over the same rock over and over And therefore, we don't have any mercy. We don't prosper. You know, sometimes people get the idea that we can come to church or call a pastor and talk to them or whatever, or a deacon and shed some crocodile cheers, mumble-dumble, and, you know, say a prayer, Father, forgive me, and all is good. But if you have no intent of leaving that sin, you're not going to prosper. That's a counterfeit confession. And one poet said this, this is not enough to say I'm sorry and repent and then go on from day to day just as I always went. Repentance is, is to leave the sins we loved before and show that in earnest grief by doing them no more. Sin must be exposed. It must be expressed. And folks, it must be expelled. It must be forsaken. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here in Proverbs 28. In verse 14, it says, Happy is the man who's always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. He who hardens his heart. I want to show you an example of this in Exodus chapter 9. And I'm again try to use illustrations that everybody's familiar with. This is a story of the Pharaoh. Here's a story of a Pharaoh, and Pharaoh sinned against God too, and judgment was coming. And look what the Pharaoh says in Exodus 9.27. The Pharaoh sent out and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. 
Doesn't that sound like a good confession? I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. That's pretty good. Sounds like a confession. But let's read the whole story, and you judge if it's a good confession when you see the whole circumstances in which it came. If we read verses 22 through 27 in Exodus 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there may be hail in the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rain hailed on land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with hail. So very heavy that there was none like it in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, and all was in the field, both man and beast. And hail struck every herb in the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And the Pharaoh sent out and called for Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned. The Lord is righteous, and my people are wicked. When did he confess this? When the thunder was booming? When the lightning was flashing? When the fire was rolling around the ground? When the hail was coming? He said, I've sinned. Have mercy on me. But I want you to notice something. The lightning stopped. The storm stopped, ceased. The hail was removed. And then it's continuing, verse 34. And then when the Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had seed, he sinned yet more. He had no intention of forsaking his sins. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. He sinned yet more. When you confess, confess and you expose it, you express it, and it's not expelled, do you know what happens when you don't forsake it? It hardens your heart. He hardens his heart, and is going to happen the same thing that happened to Pharaoh. You're going to get a heart, heart, heart. And many people play games with God. You come to church, listen to messages, maybe such as this, confess your sins, but you don't turn from it. You don't repent in biblical way. You have not done with it. You have not said, I'm not going to do this anymore. You're thinking, uh, you, 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 and when you think you're getting right with God, all you're really doing is just hardening your heart. Think about it. When was the last time you prayed a prayer and you sometimes make deals with God, right? When our child is sick, God, if you just heal him, I'm going to do all this. God, if you just let me pass this thing, you know, something happened in our lives, or, you know, God, help me. If you let me live, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z for you. And when the difficulty passes, all those holy vows that we made to God would turn out to be just like the Pharaoh. And the repentance that was born in the storm dies in the calm. You see, as soon as the hail was gone, you're back in the psalm, same old way. And what happened to the Pharaoh? Did he prosper? No. And I'm telling you, friend, sin must be exposed, must be pressed, and it needs to be expelled from our lives before you can prosper and have gospel prosperity. And I know my time is up, so let me close with this. Let me ask you some questions that you can ask yourself. Do I have a proper view of myself and my sinful nature? Remember, when you became a Christian, God didn't fix you up where you can't sin no more, but he did fix you up where you can sin and not enjoy it. Do I spend adequate time confessing Sins to the Lord each day. Remember, Apostle Paul said, I die daily. When confessing my sins, do I identify the specific sins that I'm guilty of? God, you're convicting me. The Holy Spirit's convicting me. I didn't say the right thing to the brother or sister. I didn't act the right way. I'll confess. There's several times I have to pick up the phone and call my mom and dad and apologize. And sometimes they'd be like, what? They didn't think of it. But the Holy Spirit tells me, that was not the proper way to talk to your dad. That was not the proper way to talk to your mom. And you pick up the phone, you call, and you confess him. 
Folks, so we need to identify specific sins. And folks, most importantly, do I praise God after confessing my sin? Do I experience that joy? That's how you're going to process. So no matter what's going on in this year and whatever it has in store with, for us, God only knows, but we can trust in him. But he, I always say, you know, our job is to be obedient to him and leave the results to him. But that's how we become obedient to him. If we want to prosper. And I tell this from the pulpit many times before, I don't know how each of you live outside these walls. I don't go to your household. But folks, if you're a member of this church, what you need to realize, when you sin, not only you're impacting your own individual lives and families in your household, but also it takes impact of what's happening here. So think about that. If we want to prosper as a church, but yet we're living in sins, you think God's going to give us the Holy Spirit? You think he's going to give us power, more power to serve the devil? No. So sin must be exposed, confessed. And in Psalm 32, 1, it says, Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven and whose sin is covered. And the only way our sin can be covered, if we uncover it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to look in your word and help us to reflect on our sins and how we can prosper and also think about the cost that you paid to redeem us to live in accordance with so we can live in accordance with that price. And I pray today that those who are not yet saved that will come to you know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that every member of this church analyzes their lives by the guidance of the Holy Spirit and confesses any known sins and experience the joy of salvation. And I pray, Father, also for blessing and your protection on the work week coming up in school, whoever's going to school, that keep us all safe. And also I pray for the government and everything that's going in your country. Father, we trust you and you know what you're doing and help us, Father, to accept what you're giving us. Sometimes it's accepting things, not the things that we want, but things that we need. And as we leave this place today, Father, I also pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen.